the race is on and the first Formula 1 pre-season test in Barcelona is in the history books and Mercedes ended up on top ahead of Red Bull. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But what does it mean and who were the winners and losers of the opening chapter of F1 2022? I'm Ed Straw and joining me for a comprehensive look back at those three days of running are Scott Mitchell and Gary Anderson. As ever, the three days of running have gone in a flash. As I mentioned, Mercedes on top, Lewis Hamilton fastest today, a one minute 19.138 seconds. We'll get to the other times as we run through all the teams. But first, I've got to say hello, Scott. The first of our testing podcasts this year you've been on because you've been busy scurrying around the paddock. I asked Mark and Gary in the past for their thumbs up or thumbs down for F1 2022, the new cars. What do you make of it? Oh yeah, really cool. Um, I I really like how uh, I really like how different the the ten cars are in major areas of the aesthetics. Um, I do th- I didn't really get to see a proper look this week at them trackside as much as I think the three of you did over the three days. But I did get to see them. I've seen them in person. I I really like the look of them. Um, something about them that just looks a little bit racier. Maybe it's just the fact that they sit so much lower. Um, I also think we've, um, and I know this is probably the least important part of, of launches and testing. Like I, I actually also think we've got a really pretty looking grid, quite a cool set of, of liveries, something about that Ferrari, red Ferrari, black wings that I really like. So thumbs up for me for F120, uh, the, the crop of F1 2022. And I'm pleased to say that after three days of preseason testing, the preseason test lived up to expectations in the end. It was a little bit slow the first day or two, but Started to kick up a kick up a gear, and I think we ended on a bit of a high, so plenty to get into. Yeah, there was lots going on at the end of running today after they'd wet the track. We talked about testing each of the three days, so consider days one and two companion pieces to this. But this is our kind of overview of the test. Gary Anderson, you've been with us all the way. We've got a little bit more of a feel on performance now. Still not kind of normal end of test one feel, but at least there's a little bit of, of something. Just give us a bit of an overview of, of that before we get into our team by team. Yeah, yeah, we have. I mean, it's obviously, it's about running and getting the miles in the car for this first test. And, and uh, as the teams will always say, gather as much data as possible. So they've got plenty to spend sleepless nights analysing and trying to find solutions to. But, uh, you know, the picture hasn't really changed dramatically over it. It's... Um, I think it was a solid test for everybody. I mean, some teams had more problems than others, but you, you would expect that. But in general, everybody got a, a reasonable amount of laps in. Um, you know, a Grand Prix around here is 55 laps, I think it is. So, you know, that's 300 kilometers. So it's, it's just a matter of making sure you can pound in those laps and getting all the information you can. Try a few different setups. The big thing has been, everybody's been talking about is this porpoising. So, you know, we have sort of learned that I suppose every team has it to some degree. And you can make it worse. Um, it's pretty difficult to eliminate it completely um, without doing mods that will sort of reduce the performance of the car. But you know, neither way, there's you know, got a week and a half, two weeks to come up with solutions for that for the next test in Bahrain. And it'll be more important there, really, to be honest, because you know the, the track surface should be hotter. Um, it's it's you know a different track from here, so it'll be interesting to see how teams do attack that. There will be changes to the car for sure, because there has to be. But uh, because after the Bahrain test, there's not much time to the Bahrain race. So you've got to take your package with you to Bahrain that you're going to race there. Yeah, in the second test at Bahrain, we're expecting not just the development parts that have long since been in the pipeline, but also maybe some fixes to solve the porpoising problem. We've talked about the porpoising problem quite a bit on the previous two editions of this podcast. We will refer to it in the individual teams. There's some good explainers there from Gary on what's going on. Scott, Mercedes were fastest. Mercedes won two indeed with Lewis Hamilton, one minute 19.138. George Russell, second fastest. That was set towards the end of the day. It feels a little bit business as usual for Mercedes in testing. What's the impression you've had from what they've been saying? Well, we had George Russell at the end of the second day insisting that Mercedes were behind at least two teams, Ferrari and McLaren. But then we get to the end of the test and then, yeah, it does look very much business as usual. Merck, Merck, Red Bull, Red Bull. And the the feedback from the, the sort of verdict for the test overall from Andrew Shovelin, their tra- uh, trackside engineering director, was that they do seem to be in a good place here. They're happy that they've ticked off so much mileage with, with very few... Um, issues the the car seems to be in a good place but they're obviously mindful it's super early on in in the process no one's really showing their hand and there's still potential for the cars to change a lot before Bahrain so they're not reading too much into that Lewis Hamilton said that nobody knows where anybody is at this stage so he's he's not looking into it 
And um, like I said, Russ, Russell was adamant that Mercedes is is behind at the moment. So I think we have the usual bit of nobody really wants to be labelled the favourite and no one wants to be making any bold bold predictions. So for a lot of people looking in from the outside, it's just going to look like pretty much every pre-season where Mercedes uh, rolls out, does a load of laps, looks pretty quick when it wants to be quick, then plays it all down and says everyone else is is faster. There is a little bit of that, but it's obviously a bit it's a bit more complicated. There do seem to be a few different teams in the mix because we're just nowhere near the point of actually being able to say for certain, yes, this team was pushing for performance and this is what they were capable of. Yeah, the thing I think we can say about Mercedes is they haven't dropped the ball. Whether they've got absolute control of the ball over everyone else, we don't know, but they haven't made a, a big error or gone completely the wrong way what did you make of Mercedes overall yeah I think they had a good solid test um I didn't see them sort of having too many dramas there was a, a little bit of petting engineering going on uh, a couple of times I heard the grinder out doing a bit of work when I was down there having a look um but you'd expect that I suppose there's lots to learn in these new cars uh, you know I, I sort of do think whenever I look at Hamilton at the end of the day he he was trying to do something now we don't know how much fuel there was in the car but he had a you know whenever you save up your tires a bit to right at the end of the day and you go, you know, soft, soft, super soft as such, um, all in three little runs with just a, a t- one-time lap each, you're not, it's not as though you're testing high fuel loads. You're actually just going out to see what you can do and how the tyres come in. So I think their uh, pace is is good, um, but I think that they did, you know, that definitely Hamilton did try to do that lap time at the end of the day. You know, they, obviously I'm sure they can go quite a bit quicker whenever they do t- take the fuel down and turn the engine up a bit more than that, but... At the end of this first test, you would want to have a decent feeling for the performance of the car if you could. Might be with 30, 40, 50 kilograms of fuel in the car, you know, because that's just a linear um, equation to how much faster you could go. But you still want to push and see the tyres coming into play and uh, and make sure that you know what the car will respond like when you're trying to do that. So 19, uh, 1 minute 19, 138, I think it was on the C5 compound, which is the softest of the uh, softest of the Pirelli range, is a, a pretty reasonable time, but I think there's probably still a second in there. And of course, plenty more to come from the car in terms of developments. We're expecting some changes on the Mercedes, along with a lot of the other cars. I've seen people suggesting they've done like some kind of basic car and it's a completely different car project. That, that won't be the case, but there will be a, a more advanced evolution of the car for everyone. It's just a question of how much more advanced, depending on their manufacturing lead times and how they've chosen to approach it. So certainly a good test for Mercedes. And overall, Scott, George Russell looking the part, not really a surprise, but he's just slotted in effortlessly, hasn't he? Yeah, because he's not really a new driver to Mercedes. He's He's been driving Mercedes Formula 1 cars since 2017. He's driven a Mercedes F1 car every year since 2017. So his his first day wasn't when he rolled the car out of the garage on Wednesday. His first day wasn't when he rolled the car out of the garage for the shakedown or when he walked into Brackley for the first time as a Mercedes F1 employee in January. His first day was about five years ago. He He's properly embedded in this team. He's raced for this team, obviously, and he's done loads and loads of testing. So since he was probably 18 years old Mercedes has been happy to to trust George with one of its F1 cars and its testing responsibilities so he was always especially when this test was always going to be about correlation and validation George was always going to slot in and be absolutely professional but yeah he he looks like he looks like exactly what he is a driver that has been molded for this seat over the last 5 years or so and a driver that's got immense capability on track and off it as well, because we know that he's he's very intelligent, he's very professional, very dedicated to, to stuff. For example, once he finished up his duties at the track today, he headed straight back to Brackley to, to run on the simulator, because they went straight into a simulator program after to correlate a bunch of stuff that they've learned from, from, from trackside. So yeah, absolutely fitting in, like Hamilton said, he fits the team like a glove. And a couple of other stats for Mercedes. Second on the laps completed, 393, behind only Ferrari that had 439. And also comfortably top of the most engine mileage with 1,403 laps. Partly a function of the fact they've got the most engines. But the E10 fueled, they're running that for the first time. So there's a bit to be learned there. Hill Thomas, the head of uh, Mercedes powertrain, has said that there's things they need to learn in terms of how they operate the engine for these new cars. So just a little bit of extra data that will not do any harm. So I think we can definitely say a a decent test for Mercedes. 
But second fastest, we had Red Bull. Sergio Perez, third fastest today in overall. C4 tyres, 1 minute 19.556. Distinctive Red Bull. Again, Red Bull haven't dropped the ball, have they, Gary? Things are looking pretty decent there. We just don't really know how they stack up against Mercedes. And of course, there is that tyre compound step to factor in. Yeah, I mean, the, the difference between uh, Perez's C4 time and Hamilton's C5 time, I mean, it's yeah, it's four tenths of a second. But to be honest, around Barcelona, it's a very difficult circuit on the tyres and you can eat up the, uh, the, the front tyres in turn three very quickly. And then whenever you get to the end of the lap, you haven't got any tyres left. So the softer tyre on some cars will give better lap time. But it's it's not a huge amount now. The big the big step we were seeing was between the C three and the C four, um, and it was bigger than Pirelli expected. They 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 were talking maybe even a second and a half difference, but I think it was more like a second if you look through it all. To be honest, and again the tire compound and uh, the car balance go hand in hand. If you have a car that's understeering a bit, um, the softer compound will understeer more. If you have a car that's suffering a little bit of rear end. Uh, and stability, then a softer compound will actually settle that down. So it depends on how the car uses the tyre. But Verstappen's uh, 19.756 on the C3 um, could very quickly turn into an 18-something with a C4 or a C5, depending upon how the car would use it. That's all ifs and buts, because, you know, that it hasn't happened. The facts are all we've got. The lap time we've got is is what we have. Um, I don't think they're far apart. Um... And I think that both teams will have to do a bit of work. But the the Red Bull is a different car to the Mercedes for sure. They're, you know they're working it differently, and both of them will go away from here with with ideas of the other car a little bit to sort of try and look at whether it would adapt to their concept or not. Um, so, as I say, nothing's really changed dramatically. We've got uh, Mercedes and Red Bull having a bit of a battle there, and uh, I think that's that's what we'd expect. You know, they're both very common teams good budgets, good manpower, uh, and clever people. So what else do you expect for, for, uh, from them but to be uh, to be up there? Yeah, I would pick up on what you said about the, um, the Verstappen time on the C3 tyre because I was speaking to one senior, senior figure in one of the teams today who was saying that the gap between the C3 and the C4, they were finding was about 1.2 seconds. And basically, like, if you didn't do your, what, the, you know, the closest resemblance to to a push to a push lap on the C4 you you'd be nowhere in in the time so we can't take that as red that's not going to be the same for every single car and it's going to be program dependent but if you say that it's even worth like a a second then obviously that the the gap between them there's only six temps there so then you get into the realms of okay so what's accounting for that other four temps is it fuel load engine modes track conditions the how much the drivers are pushing this is where we get into all the caveats associated with testing but that Verstappen lap did stand out because I think that that was like that it's it's one of those laps where it's that isn't the fastest lap the team does on the the lap count but it's the one that's the most relevant in terms of okay this is the fastest time they've done on 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 that tire and and Red Bull just did a Red Bull just did a good job I think they were I mean, they were just quietly impressive all three days. They felt, even though they had a punchy first day, was it 143 laps or something like that? They they still fell short of um, their target because they'd set a really aggressive target of, of mileage. They were super confident of going into this test and just rolling out the laps, even though they were one of the teams that through the winter, there were some stories of they were really up against it to get everything ready in time. And they only got the car out for their shakedown at Silverstone on like the final hour of of running. So... They pushed everything as they always do to the absolute limit in terms of development. But the, all the noises coming from the team are really positive. Max Verstappen saying that the car, the good thing is that the car does seem to have a really nice balance and they, they feel like there's something that they can sort of work from here by doing things in a sort of considered way rather than coming away from this test thinking we've got some, you know, we're scratching our heads in terms of why the car's behaving in a in a certain way. So they're not paying attention to any lap times. They're just really happy that they've done, they've ticked off two big things. One, they've got a lot of mileage um, under their belts. And two, I think they've come away from this thinking this, this car feels like a, a nicely balanced racing car. So I think, I think they're going to be properly happy with that. It's been a very good test for them. Yeah. I wouldn't want to call it between Red Bull and Mercedes as to who's doing better. They're both doing pretty well. Certainly again, Red Bull hasn't dropped the ball either. So we have to reserve judgment on that, but they're both, yes, they're in the game somewhere, aren't they? There's there's little doubt about that. 
And third fastest, McLaren, Lando Norris. This was actually the first day time that put him there. One minute, 19.568. McLaren had a pretty good test, Scott. They seemed relatively happy. Again, McLaren about where you might expect them to be. Third in the pecking order. They were fourth last year, third the year before. So this is yet another sort of haven't dropped the ball. They're probably where they should be, but they might even be a little bit better than they should be almost. Yeah, it's quite interesting with with them because they seemed, I mean, this is anecdotal evidence from people watching trackside and just sort of what some teams were saying to one another, but McLaren were one of the teams that generally the consensus was they were struggling less with the the porpoising that we were seeing from other teams. So they either, it was either something that just the way they'd sort of set the car up from the beginning, it wasn't a problem or it was something they just got their heads around quite quickly, but it just seemed, it just seemed like a pretty no nonsense test from them. They got a load of mileage in, they were playing down the lap times they did early on. Lando Norris, probably the most reluctant P1 person I've heard from in, in a test. He was, he said he'd, they'd rather be he'd rather be last at, uh, on a, on a day of testing than first. And I think he joked on social media as well that he he hated it because now everyone's going to hype them up and think that they're amazing when when they aren't. So they're sort of they're like everyone they're playing it down, but they're playing it down because they had such a such a solid test. It looked really good. They were getting talked up by everybody. You know, they were one of the teams that Russell said were were ahead of ahead of Mercedes. So. I think there's there's going to be a lot of expectation on McLaren just because they've been on this upward trajectory. I think it's positive noises in the fact they've obviously gone for the unconventional in by recent F1 convention anyway, the suspension arrangement front and rear. And there didn't seem to be any noises where they thought, oh, actually, this has caught us out. We're struggling on the setup in, in this regard. They seem to be struggling at low speed, but I think that's specifically we're just not right. That's not the car concept. I think that's, the consequence of the various changes with the technical regs that have made these cars a little bit more uh, clumsy at low speed and not as comfortable over the curbs, that kind of thing. So I, I feel like that was more of a F1 2022 observation than something about their car. So let, let's see where they're at come Bahrain. If you if you believe Lando Norris, they're still going to be a little bit a little bit of a way behind Mercedes and and Red Bull, which I guess would be no great surprise, but let's see, because this test has been pretty decent for them. Yeah, that's what you might expect. One thing that's interesting is they seem to be one of the least afflicted by porpoising or or bouncing. I did ask James Key about this earlier today and said, well, is that a reflection of you've got some particularly clever simulation technology that's helped you avoid it, or did you just luck into it? That's the way you went, and it worked quite well. And uh, James did say, well, I'd love to say it was us being brilliant, but Largely, it's just the way the car is, and we weren't sure until we came here because it is so hard to simulate. So they could be one of the teams that's got the least to do in terms of dealing with that, which is a good thing because it means you're not undoing how you think the car should work. Gary, are you fairly convinced that McLaren, again, just kept the same pattern? They're in about the place we think they should be, and they don't look out of place in that place, do they? No, that's true. That's why I say it. You know, nothing's really changed dramatically, but... Yeah, it's one of these things out to this porpoising, and you know, it's it's obviously the teams that have had it, uh, and I'm talking about you know, Red Bull have had some, Ferrari have had some, um, Mercedes have had some, so they're going to go away and 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 research it in different ways to try to be able to recognise it easier in the wind tunnel. Um, whereas if you haven't had it, you're not going to go through that that uh, process. So, is that good or bad? You don't have to go through it at the moment, but when it does come and bite you. You got to, you got to have a, a look at it. So you could change something else on the car very easily if you didn't know why you haven't got it, and, and suddenly it reappears. Appear, so you need to be careful with that because obviously the more research you can do, the more different ways you can look at stuff, the more your uh, your data bank builds up. Um, McLaren, I mean, as, as Scott says, it was you know it was a solid test. They, they went out, they ran, they came in, they changed things, they went out, they ran. Um, you know, I, I rate James Key very highly. He's, he, he, he's come through the Jordan School of Motor and such. And, you know, he's, he's my last work with him, someone, what, 18 years ago or something. So he's got a lot of experience, I knew him, and whenever I did know him, he was very clever. So I think that's only going to be a benefit for them. And, and McLaren have restructured themselves. They've restructured themselves after a very dismal few years. Um, 
when they had the Honda engine, but I'm not saying it was the Honda engine by any means, but the whole thing was just a, a bit of a disbelieving situation. But they, they believe now. They believe in themselves. They believe in their people. They believe in what they can achieve. And they're showing that that belief is, is working for them, and, and motivation is very high. Yeah, certainly plenty for McLaren fans to be encouraged by, I think, in, in this test. We'll see some more in Bahrain, but yeah, good start for McLaren. Let's move on to our fourth fastest now, Gary. Perhaps the most intriguing team from testing Ferrari. Charles Leclerc was their pace setter, a 1 minute 19.689 seconds set on the second day. That was on the C3s, if memory serves. So I think Ferrari's been further away from its peak pace than maybe some of the others. They're quite intriguingly poised, aren't they? They, they could be around that sort of third, fourth point. They could be something a little bit more... Special, maybe we just can't really tell. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, um, whenever the the car was released, I said there was parts of it I didn't really quite understand the philosophy, and, and I, I still don't. Um, and a, a few people will say the same thing, I think. But at the end of the day, there's plenty of ways of going about trying to get the same thing out of a racing car, and they've obviously achieved that. Now, if we do look at um, Charles Clerk's lap nineteen six eight nine on the C three, it's actually quicker than Verstappen on the C three. So. There's time to come there. I can only hope that we get a, an intruder into the, the, the top two. A Ferrari would be a good intruder because for me, Ferrari are still you know, the longest serving members of F1, to be honest. And, and it would be lovely to see them in there again. And the, the two drivers they have are, are worthy of that for sure. They have put a lot of effort into their new PU, the new power unit for this year because they had obviously gone a bit astray in 2019 and then paid the price for it in 2020, and 2021 was a bit of a catch-up year, and now the proof of the pudding will be on the performance, uh, both in the chassis and in the in the, the power unit. And, you know, they've been promising stuff for quite a long time, and I think this year it could be delivery time. I, I like the way the car looks on the track. It looks, you know, both drivers look as though they can muscle the car, and it doesn't do anything different. It doesn't, you know, they didn't overdrive the car. The car's got definitely got good grip. They've struggled with porpoising quite a bit, and they've done some different floor modifications and stuff, but they've done them and got them done and got them here and tested it. So they're, you know, like a step ahead of the people that were just cutting holes in the floor to reduce this porpoising. So they're, they've, got a, they've got a focus, and I think they, they can see themselves that this year could be a year for them to pull back to what, what we all expect from Ferrari. Scott, you've heard from the drivers and from Mattia Bonotto, the team principal, this week. There seems to be an air of quiet confidence there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we know that this was a big opportunity for Ferrari because obviously they switched attention to the 2022 project nice and early. They also had more resource, aerodynamic testing resource to devote to this project because they were lower down in the championship in 2020. And because of this new handicap system, you can call it on the ATR side, the worse you do in the championship, the more wind tunnel time you have, the more CFD work you can do. So Ferrari spent the first half of 2021 with what would have been, I, uh, I'm bad at this, but the fifth highest tally, I, fourth or fifth highest tally of, of what you can do. And then the second half, they they still had more than Mercedes and Red Bull and, and McLaren. So they spent all last year being able to do more work, consciously as well, working on a brand new power unit concept because they had a lot of ground to recover so this was this was huge because ultimately they if mercedes the way they look at it i think is that if mercedes and red bull came out and did the the same job as ferrari had the same level of performance and that means that they've done an x percent better job because they've had less wind tunnel time and, and cfd work to do so big opportunity for ferrari and i think they're happy to acknowledge that this seems to have manifested itself into quite a solid package with the with with the it's the F one seventy five, isn't it? I can't keep up with their name their way of naming the cars. There's there's absolutely no rhyme or reason to it. Um, it's a because it's a curious car in that it's a departure from everywhere. Everyone else is trying to do something clever in in some way with this side pod to keep the size down, and the Ferrari Ferrari's approach just seems to have gone. We've gone completely unique with it, and they don't really care about it being the side pods being bigger, but it's a concept that they clearly believe in. And their report from this test was pretty positive. Basically, lots of laps. The car's behaving well in terms of balance. It's reliable. And they've had no big issues eating into the preparation. So they came away from it being being pretty happy. But I think there was a suggestion from Lewis Hamilton at some point that, and I don't know if this was to TV, I, I didn't hear it in any of the sessions I was in, that um, 
he suggested that Ferrari looked like they were months ahead, which is obviously a reference to where they are on the development curve, I suppose, with with their car. And Mattia Bonotto, the Ferrari team principal, was very cheery in in how he rebuffed that because he said that by Bahrain, he suspects that Mercedes and Red Bull will be months ahead of, of Ferrari. Their, their focus at this test was just mileage, 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 do as much correlation as possible, focus on themselves. I know that every team will be saying that to a greater or lesser extent, but Ferrari just came away being really happy with that. Signs said that they, you know, they can be happy and proud of the amount of running that they were able to get on the car. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious to know exactly where they step up. There was a there was a lot of there was a lot of murmuring from rival teams that with the GPS data that they've got available, that they seem really impressed with what Ferrari have done on the engine side in particular. The car seems to sounds like it's pretty decent as well um, from what people have uh, have observed trackside. So this. This could be a really handy package from Ferrari. It's just obviously far too early to state that definitively. Exactly. Yeah, it's all just early signs at the moment. But yeah, Ferrari have made a good impression. I thought coming into the season, they were the team most likely to join that proper front-running group, front-running pair as, as Mercedes and Red Bull are. And I see no reason to revise that opinion based on what we've seen so far. Next up, Aston Martin. Sebastian Vettel was their pace setter, set a one minute 19.824 today. That was on the C5, so the softest tyre. Scott, sort of under the radar Aston Martin a little bit in this test, haven't they been? Yeah, I think probably because they've had, um, yeah, they, they, they haven't had any like standout moment apart from the only time they made headlines was when they stopped on, they stopped on track and uh, Vettel had a. Uh, it was I think for them it was a sm- an oil leak that led to a small fire, and the the car didn't get out again in 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 the afternoon on the, on the final day. So it's I'm sure we'll we'll get into this with Alpine as well, and probably Alpha Tauri. Um, it's a they're a team that actually had a pretty good test, and then like because everyone only remembers the most recent thing that happened, the most recent thing that happened to them was they fell into trouble. So it just I think it sort of puts a slightly negative light, but again. The noises from the team, pretty happy. They're, they're happy with where they're at in terms of understanding the car. I think they feel like they've got at least a, a good starting point. They don't seem to be thinking, well, we've massively misjudged this. This concept's completely wrong. So I think it's just, I think they're just almost like the quintessential midfield team at the moment in that there's, there's positives, there's negatives. They had a slightly bigger setback than the bigger teams. I'm not suggesting that means that they're less competent or less prepared than the bigger teams were, um, but they weren't quite as they weren't quite as attention grabbing in what they did. But they were a long way from being looking like they were in massive trouble, like a couple of the teams which we will get on into at the end of this podcast. So I think it looks okay for them, but it, it's hard to it's hard to say anything. I guess dramatic about Aston just purely because they had just such a, a low key test. Yeah, they were seventh in the mileage ranking, two hundred ninety six laps, which just isn't too bad, but not the top half for that. Gary Aston Martin, sort of cautious optimism there, or do you think they're sort of vaguely in this amorphous midfield mass, and we're not really sure whether they're at the good old bad end of it? Yeah, I think they're in the midfield mass, and there's going to be a very it's going to be a very tight midfield mass. So. On a good day, you could be at the front of it. A bad day, you could be at the back of it. But you wouldn't have done much different. So, you know, 2020 was a very good year for them. For them, but they, you know, they had sort of adopted the uh, the Mercedes philosophy, the pink Mercedes, as it was called. And then 2021 was a bit of a disaster. So this 2022 car is the you know the first car we'll see coming from a, a clean sheet of paper with these new regulations that sort of over the last couple of years is actually a creation of. The group of people that's at Aston Martin now, and that group of people keep changing a bit here and there because people are coming in every day. I think, um, and it's uh, so it's difficult to get everybody stabilised and, and get everybody into the rightful position and be able to input stuff. So I'm I'm very pleased with the performance they had. The car, the cars again, all five teams that we just nearly talked about now. You know, the concept is vastly different. Uh, as far as how they're managing the airflow through the, around and through the car. Uh, and it's nice to see that, you know. Yes, there will be quick cars and there will be slower cars because of that. But at the end of the day, it's it's good to see that from a, a bl- blind blank sheet of paper and a blind design group into a new set of regulations that you can come up with different solutions to it. So there will be some sort of uh, convergence at some point in time. But, 
you know, the way the cars are, I think they're competitive enough for not to have to sort of panic about converging with other designs. Um, you're okay. Just try to get the best out of what you've got for a minute or two while you have a really good think about it. And uh, I think Aston Martin, are, you know, they're in a good, a good solid position, but they're not going to challenge at the front. But I think they could be a, a good solid midfield runner. Let's move into the bottom half now. Six fastest Alpha Tari, Pierre Gasly, a one minute 19.918 second, but their best lap, which was set on day two. And Gary, also Alpha Tari were the ones who had the crash. Gasly had a, had an impact uh, today. The team said he was a little bit unlucky. A few metres either way, it wouldn't have been so problematic, but did do quite a lot of damage. They did have the spares to repair it, but it was quite a big job. Add to that the fact that it's a very unfamiliar car, very new type of car. That will have slowed progress. And that's fair, isn't it? If you're dealing with brand new regs, let alone a brand new car, it's going to take you a lot longer today than it will take in three months' time when you've got experience to throw it all back together. Yeah, for sure. And also because it is a brand new car and there's lots of new stuff on there, you know, you don't want to panic to to, to rectify it and actually miss something and go out and do it again because that definitely eats up the spares pretty quickly. So better to be careful. You know, they've done majority of their tests. They're pretty happy with where they got to, I think. And, you know, they're again, it's the same old deal. Vettel's done a 19.8 on C5s, and Alfa Tori have done a 19.9 on C4s. So there's a tenth or two on there maybe in the tyres, and they're in the same mix as Aston Martin. So that's that midfield. That's where they're stuck into. And as I say, for Alfa Tori, as with Aston Martin, good day you could be. At the top of that, you know, be sixth, seventh, eighth on the grid if you if you get it right. On a bad day, you could be fourteenth, fifteenth, or sixteenth. And as I say, the, the difference would be, would be minute because uh, you know if you average it out, we get twenty cars, and roughly, you know, a tenth of a second between each of them on the way down through there. So it's very easy to lose a two or three tenths, and suddenly you're you're out the back door. Um, but again, the car looks good. I like the car. I, I think the car's got a good, simple philosophy about it. You know, for aerodynamically. The body, you know, the body structure, the it, it's all it all looks like a car that's actually sensible to me, and uh, I think that it, on the track it looks pretty sensible. It, it handles, it's, it's got a good balance. It's not doing anything dramatically wrong, and for a small team, that's the first thing you need. You just make sure you can get the best out of it every weekend and and get on with the on with the uh, the process. Well, Scott, some impressed noises from Gary there about AlphaTauri. You heard a few other impressed noises about that team up and down the paddock, didn't you? Yeah, even on the first day, there was just a few people that had pointed out that they just it, it all seemed pretty well put together. They they they'd got the car out early for the for the shakedown. I think they were and they were one of two or three teams that ran on the the Tuesday, like a week Tuesday before testing. So they were among the the batch of teams that got out second because obviously we know Aston Martin were first. Um and yeah, just the 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 team didn't look rushed. They it it just all seemed pretty effortless is obviously the wrong word, but a pretty seamless start to the test for them. And I think people like the look of the car on track as well. So yeah, there were some positive external noises. There have been some positive noises internally within the team as well it's the car's been described as um uh fast and reliable and well balanced uh, by people within the team um i don't know what their reference point is for calling it fast but i think it's if anything I th- i'm actually slightly surprised that a team would be willing to label their car that uh, at this stage maybe that show that maybe that just reflects a little bit of internal confidence but they've they've they're they're so they're so grounded. I, I I think you know Jody Eggington for for example, the technical director. I think um, didn't he say to you Ed that you know being sort of pessimistic has been what has been something that served him quite well <laughs> in in his career. So he's he's not really he. I think he's like slightly flattered that a few people have talked them up, but he doesn't want to read too much into it. The 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 mistake from from Gasly, the lock up that caused the off and cause him to crash and do that much damage is unfortunate because you lose half a day of running or where would have been more because I guess he he would have crashed he wouldn't have crashed he didn't crash on the brink of the lunch break did he so cost him a big opportunity it's a shame for Yuki Tsunoda as well he's lost his entire uh, final half day of running through no fault of his own um, which is a bit of a setback but I think they did so much in the first half of the test and they were they were 
they were super, super stressing the importance of correlating a bunch of stuff with the the simulator as much as anything. I think they did so much in the first part that I think they pro- were probably a bit better protected against that loss of time in the second half of the day than maybe a couple of other teams, especially two that we're going to get onto, would have been if they if they'd lost that that half a day. Plus, also like the first couple of hours of the afternoon was the was the wet running. I'm sure they'd have liked to have got on track with the wets or intermediates. But yeah, I th- I think it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a risk to put anyone ahead of anyone. I would put them in that sort of Aston Martin bracket, but maybe slightly ahead of them. Yeah, good solid start for Alfa Tauri. A team that knows what it's there for. Joe Jagginson, I think as technical director, does a good job. There's good sound reasoning behind what he's doing and sensible reasoning. So good start for Alfa Tauri. Next up, we have William Scott, seventh fastest, Alexander Alban. One minute, 20.318 second. I'll just call him Alexander there, which I don't normally do, but that's what his name's listed as in this uh, timing sheet. Again, William's quite low profile. They've sort of grown into this test though, haven't they? Yes, um, they are, of the teams that got proper running in, they're the team that I'm, I think I'm least confident I know sort of if they've, if the car looks good or not. Just uh, There's been enough of pe- different people talking about all of the other teams that I'm a bit more confident that they're, they're well sorted. W- Williams is a bit harder for me to judge. What I have been impressed by with Williams is they were... They were one of the teams that obviously got the shakedown in in the week before the test, and they they just got they just got down to business pretty quickly. They they were they were so well sorted on the opening day that by the end of the opening day they devoted some running to early performance work, which they were planning to do later in the test. So they were in a really good position on on day one. I think they had a can't remember what it was, but I think they had like a little bit of a setback on the on the second day, um, which just prevented them uh, being out. I think they spent a li- I think they spent over an hour in the in, in the garage when Albon was meant to be driving. Um, but then another solid day today. Alex Albon's obviously having to acclimatize to the team in a trackside working environment, which I think would be very beneficial for 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 him um, and and the team. The team seems quite impressed with him. I think they had quite high expectations given he was coming from a Red Bull development role where Red Bull would talked about him very highly and they're suggesting that he's actually a little bit sharper than they thought he would be as well so I think they're really really happy with, with, with Albon I feel like they've ended the test in a place where they will go away with a really good understanding of how their car performs relative to um, their expectations I think they're going to have a really really helpful amount of data to work through i'm sure they have a better handle of where they think the car is relative to the opposition or if they're happy with the feedback that the car's giving them but they're just one that for one reason or another mainly just because i think there's only so much that people can talk about just in terms of what that car's like on track and where they might fit into the pecking order is just one of those things that i never really heard anyone talking about during this test yeah slightly low profile for them gary do you have a feel for where Williams might shake out. Well, the thing is, as you say, they're seventh fastest of the group of groups of cars that's out there today as a team. Um, but that's where the gaps start to open up. You know, we, we, we get a sort of four-tenths gap to Alfa Tori for them on the same tire. Now, we're talking about four-tenths of a second like, like it's a lifetime. And the F1, it is a fair amount. Um, so, out on the track, looking at the car, it's the one of the first ones that I'd say whenever you see them have a little error, it becomes a bit of a a bit of a scene, you know, the, the front and rear goes, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're playing catch up, I suppose you might call it. A lot of the other cars have a little bit of understeer or the rear will give a snap, but you never sort of get both ends moving around. And I think, so I think it's just a, a bit of a lack of grip or they're not getting the grip out of the car. But it's, a, it's a, again, it's another fairly different concept in, in the fact that it's, a, you know, shrink wrapped as such. It's, a, there is no space for nothing. Um, they've, they've really gone to town on, on, uh, on, low uh, cross-sectional area and uh, they've got you know everything piled forward as far as possible so the car's getting very small at the back. It it looks better in real life than it did in some of the pictures I saw earlier whenever I was talking about the cars but um, the the colour scheme, the dark blue colour scheme doesn't do it any favours. It doesn't sort of lift it out anywhere. It just leaves it a bit dead. 
But as far as the car is concerned, again, you know, we talked through seven of them here. They they are all different, and they are all different avenues they've taken. Uh, some are you could move on to some other different concept and apply it to your car, but some areas you can't. So um, Williams are pretty committed to what they've got. Um, I think they might need to find a better lap time though before they can mix it with that that real midfield bunch. Yeah, that's certainly what we're going to be looking for from them in Bahrain. Let's move on next to eighth fastest. We're into the bottom three teams that probably come under the heading of strugglers in one way, shape or form. Scott, Alpine, Fernando Alonso only managed 12 laps today. He did set their fastest lap of the test at 1 minute 21.242. He ended up in a fiery, smoky mass parked at the side of the track. You, I think, have got a bit of insight into what's been going on at Alpine there. Perhaps not as bad as it looks. Yeah, that's definitely the message from from the team. Um, they're really frustrated that they they had that problem because I, I I I don't understand the exact details of what happened. But Alan Permain, I had a chat with him, and he said it was a this is a really small, really small failure, basically a on a, on on a pipe or something that then led to um, the 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 fire. And I think it was I think there were. Might have might have been French media or, or or something, but he said it had been like wrongly mischaracterized as um, like an engine failure, basically that had then it gone up in smoke because of that. I suspect the engine did fail, given <laughs> given the um, given the fire and the fact that they were out for the rest of the day, but it wasn't that wasn't the primary cause. Um, so they're frustrated by that because obviously they've got a brand new power unit, very very different to what they've done before, and they in Permain's way of describing it was that it's been a complete non-topic for them that it's it's run really well and and they haven't had to do much at all they had a pretty clean test up to that point as well they had really good mileage on day one even though they actually fell like red bull slightly short of a of a target they set themselves day two was set back ever so slightly by um i can't remember there, there were two issues uh one was a broken bracket on the floor and the other one, I think, was a engine temperature sensor that they needed to to replace. That was it. And then they started um, the final day, and Alonso did this lap time that they were quite happy with. Um, that was on was that on the C three? That was on the C three tire, and he finished that run and apparently said, "Put me out on a fresh set. I'll go four tenths faster." So he, he was happy. I think they'd made a. I don't know what they did, but they um, they played with the setup quite a lot overnight and when the car went out on friday morning i think it was in a much better place than it was in on on thursday so they were really buoyant because of that another reason they're not used they haven't been using drs at this test i don't know if this is correct Permain's estimate was that was worth about seven temps around this track so if you even if you say that's a bit uh, generous take half a second off should we should we say for that which obviously gary said before this is where you start to get the gaps in the field if you take half a second out, it's immediately a little bit more representative. They're a bit coy on what that DRS problem is. Um, the initial suggestion was that they start, they they set their run plan or their program out not planning to use DRS. I think when they first ran the car, they had some kind of feedback on the car that was problematic under under the highest loads, basically. And then I thought, I think what they decided was it, this is not worth us opening DRS and then I don't know I don't know what the problem would be there whether it's their concern is that at the absolute maximum speed the car will start shaking itself to bits or or, or something but they decided as a precaution not to open DRS it's clearly a problem that they discovered on arrival otherwise they'd have either had a fix in place or it wouldn't have been something that they they learned on on, on day one so I think it was something that they discovered here and then they were like well we can't we can't fix this here. This has to be fixed for for Bahrain. So they just decided to do that as a precaution. So it was a it was a test that ended up, I think, a bit disrupted in the end and ended up looking a bit worse than it than it was. But we could see like uh, like they were so far down on the on the speed traps, for example. It was it was clear that it was either it was either they were running an extraordinary amount of fuel and a really low engine mode, or or you know they simply weren't using the DRS. So I think. It's definitely not as bad as it looks because if you just looked at the lap times, you'd be pretty worried for for, for Alpine. They're only just clear of two teams that have had an absolute nightmare week. So they're, they're, they are caught quite cautiously optimistic. They're actually closer 
the Mercedes and Red Bull than they were at the end of last season. So they they feel like they have genuinely made a step. They're, 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 they don't know where that would shake them out because obviously they don't know if Mercedes and Red Bull are going to be first and second or third and fourth. But I think they, they actually come away from here pretty heartened despite the way the test ended. Now, Gary, you've had good tests. You've had bad tests, everything in between. You know what it's like to have something that doesn't look so good but was going well and to make the best of a bad job with what you're saying about it. So how do you interpret what Scott's explained and how does that fit in with what you've seen from Alpine? You know, when we're talking about Alpine here, this this is the team that's taken over from Renault. This is, you know, the, the in theory now, fourth works team, I suppose. You know, we've got Mercedes, we've got Red Bull, which we can classify as a works team, I believe. We've got Ferrari and we've got Alpine. And they're, they are way down the list as far as time is concerned. I don't think that's relative. I think they will do better than that. But they've come here with, uh, in it, come here with inherent problems, I suppose you might call it. You know, the DRS situation, if it's worth seven tenths or half a second or whatever it is, then that's part of the car. That's part of making the car work because it's all about making sure all this stuff functions and you get the best out of the car. And if a, if a semi, you know, a works team or what should be a works team comes here and has all those problems, it's it's not very good, you know. I I don't see the time changing dramatically. I don't see them being able to match or get anywhere near Mercedes or Red Bull. I think if they're if they're pretty good at it, they might mix with Tor, uh, Alpha Tori and uh, and Aston Martin. But I think that's where the where the brakes will come on and they'll you know they'll struggle with it. You have to run these cars to their to the maximum capability before you un- learn or understand what's going on. And the the car was very slow in the straights. Uh, obviously the DRS wasn't open, but it was very slow on the straights. Like they were running a, you know, detuned engine mode. Why would you want to do that in testing? Why would you not want to push the limits of anything? You know, of, of most of the stuff at least. Everything you can do to try to make sure your reliability is okay. Because they've only got one Renault-engined team in the pit lane. They haven't got anybody else doing anything else different. There are only two engines running around there, so the input from the drivers and the and how you run the car is limited to two cars and. And the reliability that you know that you can look at or work on with with engine miles is all down to two cars. You have to you have to give it put it on the limit before you find that that stuff out. So I'm a bit worried for them because you know they've talked good for quite a few years, and it hasn't really uh, come to come to fruition. But uh, they they did uh, I think they did lock themselves into a slightly conservative testing program, which I think is just a little bit of an inherent problem with that team. I mean. We've talked before on previous podcasts, and I've written a bit about this on the website, that it's one of the things that Lauren Rossi, as the CEO of Alpine, has identified over the last 12 months. It just feels the organisation has just played stuff too safe a lot, which is why they've um, apparently pushed the boat out with the the engine and with with certain elements of of the car this year, which has led to problems on the dyno, production problems, that that kind of thing, because they are trying to push the boundary a bit. But I just think there is a little bit of a conservative culture in there. So here, they ran what Alan Permain called a higher than usual fuel load on the first day, encountered the DRS problem, and then apparently just decided to then stick with that fuel load for the rest of the test. And I kind of think like, well, if you're going to run the higher fuel, fine. I guess if you don't have the DRS to use, it's more of a relevant simulation of you know, what you'll be running in the race where you, you don't have the DRS. But at the same time, I don't know if what he said means that they didn't change the fuel load at all, but it just kind of feel like... If, I, I I can't imagine they'd have run the same fuel load all three days because that just feels like nowhere near enough experimentation for the first for the first test. And I just wonder if it's a little bit of this, this, yeah, this team's mindset. And I also agree that I I wonder if their inherent positivity about it is because they're working with a lot of theoretical lap time. Oh, we use the DRS, we get this much. Oh, we take the fuel out, we get this much. We put a new set of C4s on, or we put a set of fr- uh, new set of C3s on, or the, we go to the C4, we'll gain this much time, and then all of a sudden we're actually matching what these guys are doing. So, yeah, I would I would absolutely take what I've been told with a with a pinch of salt. Um, I think Bahrain will be a I think Bahrain will be an important test for them to deliver on what they're claiming that car is capable of. Yeah, the thing you know, I'd just like to add there is there's only one thing that tells you what the car is capable of, and that's the stopwatch. So until you go out there and actually wring its neck 
um, with a you know sniff of an oily rag of fuel in it and new tires on it, you, you won't know. You can theorize as much as you want, but at the end of the day, the car changes dramatically whenever you try to do all that sort of stuff, and they haven't got any information whatsoever from three days running on that. And I think that for a, for as I say, a works team that is a, is, is disgusting. Just to put a number on the engine mileage, 266 laps Renault have done in total. So that's not a lot of mileage. Mercedes have put together 1,403, Ferrari 774, Red Bull, the Honda, of course, 666. So, yeah, I'd like to see them do a bit more mileage, particularly seeing as this is a new engine with a, a split turbo. So let's hope there's more to come from Alpine, certainly. Well, even if you do it on a per team basis, like relative, they're behind all, all, all three, aren't they? Because they've lost that half day of running on the final day. And when you are a solo engine team, that half day of lost running, that, that's a killer. Because if it's, you know, if that's Ferrari or, or Mercedes, for example, you know, Aston Martin didn't get out for the for the, for the the second half of, of the day. It's, it's fine for Mercedes in terms of getting power unit information. And they've got three other teams pounding around. So that's a, that's a, they're the team that feels that or the engine manufacturer that feels that uh, the the hardest. Let's move on to Haas now, Gary. Tenth in the mileage charts, 160 laps only. They were ninth fastest, at, at least. That's something Nikita Mazepin set their fastest time, a 1 minute 21.512 yesterday, but it's been a very interrupted test. They had some kind of leak today, apparently, in the morning that kept them out for the rest of the day. Not entirely sure exactly what was going on. They obviously something quite uh, quite serious bit disappointing for Haas they've been preparing for this for a long time after writing off last year not looking brilliant so far is it no I don't think it is um you know the car on the track again it looks okay it's we've watched uh Mick Schumacher do quite a few laps the other day out the track and you know it all looked quite sensible so you know that is the, the sort of lap time with the fuel load they have in it and the tires they had on it which in Mick Schumacher's case it was it C3s, and he did a 21.9, so he's four tenths slower than his teammate on the same tyres. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they were a long way off the back last year in relative terms. Um, this year, I can see it being a bit closer, but I don't think they'll be uh, mixing it in the midfield. I don't see what will make them mix it in the midfield from what I've seen. Um, it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with the car, but they are a small team and they need to, you know, they just need to keep on pushing on. Um, we've obviously got problems right, left, and centre with, with sponsorship and all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know they they, they do use a lot of stuff from Ferrari. Uh, so mechanical wise, they'll get the Ferrari reliability uh, sort of package together because Ferrari will obviously push for to get all their parts as reliable as possible. So Hassel benefit from that sort of side, which is good. Um, so it leaves them with with just the performance of the car, the aerodynamic surfaces, and whatever too to derive themselves and that's the area they need to focus on and concentrate on and that's what, that's what they'll do nobody said it'd be easy you know you just have to get on and do it and we're talking here from the as I say from the front to the back of the fastest time during this test of three seconds um, it's a huge amount of time but in reality you know um, it's it's not very much you know if we got 20 cars on the grid within three seconds we'd be pretty pleased with that that's not too bad at all I've seen you know back in the past when I was involved in it even you know, we were having five and six seconds of a gap across the grid. You were, you might, you might end up fifth or sixth, two seconds away from the from pole. Um, so that you know, things have changed a lot. The, the the grid's compacted down dramatically, and and has somebody has to be at the back. Somebody will be at the front. Somebody has to be at the back. And in this case, I think it'll probably still be Haas. They had a cooling leak, a broken floor, a damaged fuel pump, and an oil leak by my count this week. So, yeah a litany of errors or, or problems rather. And I have to say, disappointing given, I, I, know, I know that the amount of time you spend designing the car doesn't necessarily feed into how well sorted it is from a preparation and production point of view because they're, they're slightly different, well, they're different departments and how well one is managed doesn't define how well another's managed. But I still think, and we'll, I can say the same thing for Alfa Romeo who we're going to talk about next. The, these are teams that, shifted focus to 2022 before anyone else they've spent more time on these cars than anyone else in terms of designing them and that was a big part of all of the you know the that was the big part of their sell wasn't it last year it's all about 2022 well the first three days of the 2022 season for real have been a disaster and that's a real blow and a huge setback to have that 
for your all singing, all dancing new car that you've put all of your hopes on and you've basically sacrificed an entire season to build. And it might be that once they sort the reliability problems out, that all that time that they spent designing this car is going to have paid off because they've actually designed an absolute megastar and a Mercedes beater. But uh, first of all, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And second, I just think they're now on the back foot. So there are they're, they're teams that had more to do than any other because they were coming from a lower base last year. I know that the cars are completely changed, but they, they have built the slowest cars over the last couple of seasons. And now they're going, they're going into the final three days of preseason testing with the barest of understandings of what those cars can do. We were talking about like Alpine haven't run their car in anger. The, these car, these teams have barely run their run their cars at all. So it's a it's a really difficult situation for them to be in. I, I think they 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 they've all, they've both put brave faces on it, but they're they're in a difficult position. Yeah, I think the, the thing you've got to give them credit for is the fact they're here, they're running, and it's better to have mechanical problems now, reliability problems now, than in the Bahrain race weekend. So you know everything you learn now about the car, be it you know as I say reliability issues or performance will be of benefit when we go racing. But I, I'm focusing down in from that, the mechanical problems saying that will get fixed to the actual lap time performance. You know, I've always said that you can't really hold a quick car back. You know, you can put fuel in it and, and it'll go slower and stuff like that. But a quick car looks quick, looks good. And uh, I haven't really seen that with a, with a house. It doesn't look that good. It's okay. There's nothing really wrong with it, but it just doesn't look like it's got the grip. And Scott, there's a lot of off-track talk about Haas specifically with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Your Carly sponsorship is off the car for today. Nikita Mazepin did run, but there's speculation about his future. So what can you tell us about the impact on the future of the team if that sponsorship can't continue? We don't know whether that's the case or not. And what could it mean for Mazepin and that drive? Yeah, so the first thing to stress is that I, I don't think this future or the fate of the teams up for debate at all um i think when um that money came into the team with mazapin i think it was a lot more important than it is now because has coming off the back of 2020 and they've been hit really badly by the covid 19 pandemic and despite having a very rich owner gene has just doesn't want to put his his hand in his own pocket so they was they were seriously vulnerable i don't think that's the case now i the i the the money from the Mazepin side isn't isn't is nowhere near even half the 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 Haas budget. I'm hearing numbers much closer to around twenty percent of, of of the budget. But they'd have been so desperate for that twenty percent a, a year or so ago that they they wouldn't have thought twice about doing a deal for it to be the whole livery and to be the title sponsor. You you, you offer what you you agree to any condition if you're going to get whatever it is twenty five million thirty million dollars into the team even more maybe, you'll, you'll accept whatever condition going. I don't think they're in that position now. So whatever happens, that, that gap will be plugged, whether it is Gene finally putting his hand in his pocket again, whether it's replacing Mazepin and the sponsors and getting a driver in who can pay, plus also then being able to get money from new sponsors because there's loads of space on the car, you can do more branding with it. So that's an. I'm stressing that because I think it's really important whenever there's something like this that you reassure people that, this doesn't mean that hundreds of people are suddenly like staring down the barrel of unemployment or a team's going to fold because obviously no one wants to see that. Um, as for what happens next, I think it's all going to be resolved next week. I think there's going to be quite a lot going on. Gunter Steiner um, broadly des- described it as all the legal stuff, which obviously quite a lot comes under, but I think that'll be whether or not the title sponsorship can continue because ultimately we can we can speculate for, for ages on whether or not there are going to be whatever sanctions are imposed on you know russian businesses and people as a result of putin's in, in invasion of ukraine will that trickle down to dmitry mazepin and his companies and therefore has or is it simply enough that the association with russian companies is enough for them to be able to cite force majeure and get out of the deal and if that happens i'd be amazed if nikita mazepin is still driving the car this year because that money is what's keeping him in the team and also if the visa situation gets really bad for as a result of this one of the sanctions that's been mentioned is that russian citizens won't be able to get visas nikita needs a visa to do i think 19 or 20 of the races over the course of the year you like mo- the vast majority of the calendar is made up of countries that a russian citizen needs a visa to get into so there would be a problem on that side and as i understand it there's already been parties drivers sponsors that have reached out in the last 24 hours to, to steiner and his team so 
I think it'll be resolved in the next week. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying this will happen, but I just wouldn't be surprised if we get to a point where Haas goes from having a Russian sponsor, a Russian flag on the car, and a Russian driver in the car to none of those things by the time the season starts. It's it's a very fast-moving situation. I think it's caught them a little bit by surprise. They weren't really planning for this, even though the tensions politically have been there in the background. They were hoping it wouldn't come to this, and they weren't expecting to get sucked into the to the fallout. So really tricky situation for Haas, and it's just an extension of their nightmare week, isn't it? Just when you think it couldn't get any worse, they're fighting fires on track and off it. Yeah, and we should also add, of course, that the Russian Grand Prix has effectively been cancelled although the wording did leave not in so many words exactly what was the wording it's not under the current circumstances it's, it's impossible in the, the current circumstances which obviously suggests that if the circumstances change it will be possible but we've been assured that i think this is a matter of um you know semantics in terms of the wording because of the the situation we have been assured that that race will not be going ahead and of course the organisers have said that tickets won't be refunded yet because it may still happen. So let's see what happens there. And let's move on to our 10th and final team, Gary Alfa Romeo. Guan Yu Zhou was there, pace setter, a 1 minute 21.885 seconds set yesterday. Difficult test for Alfa Romeo, safe to say. Ninth most laps completed, 175, only 15 ahead of Haas. Not a great one, was it? No, it wasn't a great one, to be honest. You know, um, <coughs> obviously, Valtteri Bottas has moved across there from Mercedes. Um, they'll be disappointed as a team, but he'll be very disappointed as a person, I think. Valtteri's somebody that uh, thrives on motivation. He wants to get on with the job, and, and obviously that he wasn't able to do that because of lots and lots of issues they had. Uh, they probably had more of the uh, the porpoising problems than, than most, and damaged the underneath of the car quite dramatically a few times. So, yeah, a pretty poor start to it. But, you know, whenever you really sort of consider it over the last couple of years, that's where they've been. Um, they have, you know, it's a new car, new set of regulations and everything, but it's it's about what you what your your acceptance level is with the car, what you, you know, as a, as a technical department, what you sort of want to try and achieve with these cars is very important. And that's how you set down the specification of it. And... You know, the specification over the last couple of years, for, for whatever reason, didn't really work. We had a few glimpses of, of pretty decent runs, but, you know, on general, it didn't really work. So somewhere along the line, they're not they're not looking for the, for the same stuff as a lot of other teams. And uh, I think you need to sort of regrip a little bit and think about that, because people will achieve what you've set them to achieve. You know, your group of people that are researched that will achieve what you set them to achieve you need to set, set a different set of standards for them to, to achieve. And I think they'll still be able to go off, off and get that. But at the minute, I don't think they're they're looking far enough down the road to to really warrant the challenge anywhere. They're just sort of going around. And and they had so many problems, you know, and they shouldn't have so many problems because they are, you know, they are a pretty well-funded team. They are a pretty structured team. And they are, you know, they have everything that's necessary. They have a, apparently have a very good facility in Hinwell in Switzerland. But it's, uh, it's got everything, but, you know, they're not making very good use of it. Scott, Fred Vasseur tried to put a, a a brave face on it, but they're keeping quite a low profile and keeping quite quiet, probably for good reasons. Yeah, um, I I can only echo what Gary said for, for Bottas. Um, I characterised it in a piece we wrote on the website um, about what we've learned from the first test as this was meant to be a, a fresh start, but it's been more of a full start, hasn't it? He's, he's barely driven the car. Um and just every day there was something about where he's like, Bottas is just trying to be like, well, yeah, not not as much mileage as we want. Hopefully we'll get more tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, the mileage doesn't. And he, even in the lunch break today, he was in the press conference and he said, oh, it's, you know, setbacks, blah, blah, blah. But hopefully we get out. Good afternoon. Um, and we'll basically end the test on a high. Ed, do you want to confirm how many laps Bottas managed to do with his good afternoon to end the test on a high? 54 laps he did in total. That puts him 20th of all the drivers. Ahead only of Robert Kubica, the reserve driver, who did nine laps. Yeah, added no laps to that tally in the afternoon, I don't think, because I don't think they managed to get back out. An undisclosed technical issue, because it's been very difficult to get information from them, because they have been keeping a, a low profile, but they've been having some issues, I think. I think they might be one of the worst, at least initially, affected by the porpoising. There, there were stories that they put a hole in the car at, at the shakedown, for example, and I think they had it quite bad on the first day here. So then they were playing around with the setup, 
to to try and alleviate it but then they just got hit by all sorts of issues hydraulics problems and that kind of thing so again like i said about Haas, i think it's just disappointing i've got i've got no idea what that car looks like because it just seems to have barely run yeah if i you know go back i've i've done a written piece and i've i've compared where the team stood um at the 2020 test in barcelona and at the first race of 2020 in uh, in um, austria and the reason i'm doing that is because that was before covid really hit the 2020 test and it was in barcelona so it was a good thing to reference and at that test, Valtteri Bottas was fastest. And at this test, Valtteri Bottas, Bottas is actually slowest, 3.055 seconds slower. So what you could say from that is what a difference a car makes. It's the same bloke. Yeah, conclusive proof of that. Well, hopefully that's given you a good overview of the 10 teams. We've uh, tried to bring you something about all of them. There's another test coming up, and of course we'll have daily testing reports from that as well as well as podcasts in between so thanks very much scott mitchell and gary anderson for your insight head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's huge amounts to read there and we've got so much stuff we can write over the next week or so there's going to be plenty to to delve into check out also our sister podcasts including bring back v10s and also have a look at our youtube channel just search for the race we're now going to be turning our attention to digesting a bit more of what's happened in testing and what we can expect in the next test but we'll be back soon with everything you need to know about F1 2022 pre-season.